welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. We are naturally supernatural, and yet we kind of tend to have blocks, inhibitions, on expressing that supernaturalness, don't we? Now, I bring Rose here as a sort of an example. Have you told these guys about what happened? Can I, can I, can I get you to give this testimony? Okay. I will pass the microphone. We'll experiment with a new position of the microhead's a bit asleep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so Rose is just going to give us this little story. This is actually something that happened on Sunday, isn't it? And it involved me, which is why you told me. Yeah. Uh, but until Rose told me what actually happened, I had no idea. And it was really, really encouraging. So, here you go. So, on Monday, I sent Irvin a message. Um, and I'll just read it out because it's easier to explain. Um, but hey Irvin, I hope you don't mind me messaging here. I just needed to write down, write it down before I forgot. I was hoping to catch you at the end of church on Sunday to tell you, but I had to dash off so I didn't get a chance. I just wanted to encourage you with something that happened during the service on Sunday. I don't know if you remember, but we were both sat at the communion table feasting on the bread and wine. While we were there, I closed my eyes and began to talk to Jesus in my head. I was saying to him, Lord, I really want to understand the full extent of what you've actually done for me on the cross, like really know it. And then Irving turned to me, so I said, then you turned to me, not knowing I'd said this to Jesus because I was praying it in my head, and just said to me, it's too big for your mind to contain. I was gobsmacked. It was like you had read my mind and answered as if you were Jesus. Then you laid your hand on my head and started praying that I'd be anointed to live out of my mind. This is so significant for me as I have been desiring this so much. I've been distracted so much lately trying to work everything out and get my head around things that I've been limiting God to my mind and what makes sense. So I've been asking him over and over to just show me the truth and he's showing me just that and I'm realising so it's so much better than I've been believing. It is literally blowing my mind. So yeah, I'd, and then I just put, I hope this makes sense. Just wanted to encourage you. That's great, thanks. So that's just one little story from Rose. You know, she was she was she was praying this thing in her head, and I just instantly gave her an answer as if it was Jesus speaking to her. And the, the thing is, I remember that happening, but I wasn't I wasn't aware of what she was praying or anything. But I, this crazy thought just came into my head. It, it it seemed to come out of nowhere. I've got no idea where it came from, and I've I've learned that when something really random comes into your head like that I've, I've practiced with kind of going with it so this just thought it's too big for your mind to contain I th- that's weird but, but anyway I just laid hands on her head and said Rose it's too big for your mind to contain and, uh, and what was going on was a supernatural transaction but the truth is I am telling you I was completely unaware of it I just had this weird thought came into my head that that's all it was. It felt like this is a weird thought. Uh, so I kind of just went with it and I didn't know whether it was 
a genuine transaction or not. It just so happened that it was. Um, so, I mean, the truth is I've been seeking God's supernatural activity in my life for a long time. And I've kind of been intentional in pursuing it various ways. Just, I mean, every time we pray, it's every time you pray for something supernatural, you are pursuing the supernatural, aren't you? Every time you pray for somebody to be healed. Um, I remember there have just been different times at work, and I've, I've, I've just set myself periods of weeks uh, where I just said, okay, I'm going to pray for every patient. Have I told you this one? There's a period uh, where I, I did that, and... Uh, I got some delightful feedback as a result of it. They'll tell you about the lady who really hit me really hard a few weeks afterwards. She came in and said, uh, I've got, I'm coughing rubbish up again. And uh, so I said, ah, Yvonne, yeah, you won't be able to trace her from her name. So I said, ah, Yvonne, it says, it's those cigarettes. And she just hit me really hard. You have to bruise on my shoulder. This is a patient assaulting me in the in my in my GP surgery. So hit me really hard like this. <laughs> Sorry, Andy. <laughs> and she said, and I said, what's that? What's that for? What have I done? She says, don't you believe in your own press? <laughs> I went, what was that? She said, you prayed that I would stop smoking. And uh, I'm like, oh, I'd totally forgotten. And uh, that she said, you prayed a number of weeks ago that I stopped smoking. And I stopped smoking that very day. So I thought, oh, how good is that? So anyway, that's really funny, isn't it? Just being told off. Not for not believing my own prayers, but for not actually remembering, I think, really, more than anything else. But, uh, and uh, joining our destiny was for me definitely a pursuit of seeing more of God's activity in my life. And I, I have absolute certainty that for you, as a result of being here, you are actually going to see more of God's supernatural activity in your life. It, it's impossible for that to not happen, guys. It's impossible for it to not happen. You've given up five, six months of your lives here to pursue God, to run after God, well, guess you what? Guess what? He likes being found and he, he loves you wanting to try and get hold of him in this way. And you are absolutely going to see more activity of God in your life. And, that, and that's why I joined Our Destiny. And, uh, you know, throughout, throughout my journey as a Christian in longing to see evidence of his presence. And I think that's kind of different, isn't it? You know, lots of people I'm, I know would quote at me where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the Jews and he says, you know, you seek for a sign, but the only sign you're going to get is this, the sign of Jonah. Um, I'm absolutely certain that Jesus wasn't meaning when he said that. I don't think he was saying, well, don't expect anything to happen <laughs> as a result of following me. <laughs> There's no way he meant that, is there? So the expectation, expectation that things would happen, he wants us to have, and that does not cut against that kind of scripture. Uh, because these, he was talking to people who were determined to see him put down 
and they were just trying to seek for signs or lack of signs, I think, to simply prove something. But I'm not wanting to prove anything. I just simply, it's like, it feels like proof. It's kind of similar, I suppose. But you know, if, if you love your wife, you kind of want, Jonas, don't you? you, you you're gonna want to see some signs from Miriam that she kind of loves you. Uh, that uh, Relationships kind of need that. And there's absolutely the same thing with Jesus as well. You know, I want to see, I want to see you in this earth. I want to see you touching people. I want to see people transformed and so on. That's not the same as seeking signs. Anyway, just thought I'd say that. Um, so early in my Christian life, I was, I was wanting to see this transformation. And it, I started with a kind of strong hope, a strong wish that God would turn up and do something. Uh, and my determination and my faith would kind of carry along with that. And, you know, that has yielded fruit. And, and I just know, I just, you know, I saw people becoming Christians. I did occasionally see God do one or two small healings. But a, but a transformation has happened in me. And the transformation has been moving from that. I kind of wish that, I kind of want and hope God will turn up and show up and do something to a real expectation. I know he's here. I know I'm walking in him. I know he's in me. And I kind of expect things to happen. You know, it's, I, I haven't gone from one end of the spectrum right to the other end of the spectrum. That's not happened. So I, you know, I kind of hate it when, you know, maybe God forgive me for hating it, but I kind of hate it when, you know, God does something really nice and something really good happens. And somebody says, well, didn't you expect that? And, you know, and I, I hate it when people say that to me. And I think, well, actually, I kind of wanted it. And I, ve- I, I kind of half expected it. I hope, half hoped, half expected things would happen. But it's still a lovely surprise when he does something nice. So, you know, I, I don't know. I don't like it when saying, well, it's all you should expect. You know, I think, that kind of grits with me, but... Uh, but I, but, I, but I have moved along that scale to absolutely knowing that God is in me. And it's not a hope that he'll turn up. It's an expectation that he will. Well, it's a knowledge that he, he, he is here. He doesn't need to turn up. It's an expectation that things are going to happen. And I have that expectation. So I find that the way that's working out for me is I'm trying less hard I'm, I'm, I'm not in a position where I think, oh, I've got to do, I've got to do, got to do, I've got to see, got to see, got to see. But I, I, I'm trying less hard, but I, and I'm more likely to put myself in the place of expecting God to do things. Now, I know I've, I've kind of, you've probably heard Phil, the great Phil Drysdale. I hope I'm not bad-mouthing you here, Phil. But Phil says, look, he says, oh, man, I hate going out and doing that stuff on the streets. It's not his thing. Has he told you that? 
yeah, he, he, uh, he says to me, he says, oh man, I, I really, really struggle, you know, go out to Canal Street or go and do outreaches. And it's, oh, gives me the cringes. And uh, uh, I hope I'm not overstating you, Phil. Um, and to some degree, I still have some of that, to be absolutely truthful. I still have kind of hurdles to overcome. Uh, and the, the hurdles are sort of, you know, that, that sort of cringy thing, that sort of not wanting to feel ashamed or f think that people are going to look at you and think, oh man, he's weird or he's spooky because he's going to do this praying out in the streets thing. So I've still got a touch of that. And so, I, so I'm a bit like Phil really on that one. So I've st I still have to overcome some reluctance to go out. No, actually, I'm not saying it is everyone's thing. Um, but I kind of think, well, I know that God's told me, you know, one of the prophetic words he gave to me is the fruits out there on the streets. Now, he's really clearly told me that one. So, yeah, this isn't, uh, I'm, I'm actually not necessarily trying to apply this to everybody. And I'm not actually trying to dictate to anybody what you actually should do. But these hindrances to going out and taking what is ours, they're kind of universal. So what God's been doing in me is been dealing with these things that have been holding me back and therefore making me freer to go. So I knew, he, I knew coming to our destiny was going to be one of those challenging things and I wanted God to use it to challenge me. And he did. And, and, and he took me through because I kind of knew I'd be expected to go out on outreaches, so I almost wouldn't have a choice. So I put myself into that place where I kind of knew I wouldn't have a choice, so I'd be forced to do it. And uh, that was one of the, I have to just say, that's one of the, the reasons I did, did it. Uh, what, uh, how has it happened? Well, it's happened in lots of different ways. Um, I remember when I first became a Christian, um, just within a few weeks, there were some people at my university and they, was, uh, they were talking about speaking in tongues, they were sort of Pentecostals, and I hadn't spoken in tongues. And they were saying, you know, uh, this is part of the parcel, God wants you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And there was this part of my dysfunction was being disapproved of by people. So what I was hearing was, I'm disapproving of you because you're not a complete Christian, because you haven't got this, you haven't got that, therefore you're incomplete, therefore you're, I disapprove of you. That's kind of what I was hearing. And I have no doubt whatsoever, this guy, these guys weren't trying to do that. They weren't trying to say that. They were just trying to encourage me into more. But what I was hearing was disapproval. <gasps> I'm incomplete. <gasps> and I was kind of feeling that, and I hated it. And I was, I was really very reactive, and I really had really big arguments with these guys. And even though I'd only been a Christian two or three weeks, I kind of knew everything. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, I remember, I didn't really know even what, much of what speaking in tongues was. So I remember that evening, I went to my room, I says, okay, God, if this speaking in tongues thing, I, if this speaking in tongues thing is a real thing, 
And I read up about it. I read up one or two of the scriptural passages that they'd given me about speaking in tongues. So I said, okay, God, I want it right now. And, and I was off. I just, I just did it. I mean, it was kind of instant. And, and, and it was the full package. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't I didn't have any of this, you know, it wasn't any sort of, oh, forgive me, I don't mean to make fun of anybody who has gone through that sort of faltering into it sort of thing. But for me, it was a kaboom. I just speaking in tongues fluently, right, instantly. I just said, okay, got to want it now, bang, done. Well, okay, let, let, I can get distracted into what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is later, if you don't mind. Okay. Uh, and I will. I'll talk to you about that. Um, but there's no doubt whatsoever when a person becomes a Christian, it, the Holy Spirit inside of him. Paul says that. And, you know, it's impossible to say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit inside of you. Now, this whole thing about the baptism in the Spirit is, is, is another whole thing. And I think Alan's been talking to you about this and stuff, hasn't he? Yeah. Okay, well, okay, I'll talk to you after this talk, but not during this talk, because it's for a different thing. But anyway, what that did, that told me is, whoo! Instantly, that, that was the very first sign, even within weeks of being a Christian, that there was something supernatural going on. I mean, you know, kids talk in gobbledygook language, don't they? Kids do that. Uh, and I, you hear talk, kids talk in gibberish languages and the main, making up languages. Actually, I don't know whether that's speaking in tongues or not. Maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> but kids, pl kids do that a lot. And, uh, and, uh, but for me, it kind of felt evidence. Ooh, yeah. Th this was something. This was a language. It felt like a language. And it just bypassed my brain. I had no idea. So I thought, okay, it's possible to bypass my brain. Therefore, it's possible for transactions to happen on a not natural level, on a supernatural level, on a spiritual level. So that, that was thing number one um, but fairly for for two or three years I, I kind of kind of lapsed really I, I didn't stop being a Christian but I was living in a way which probably wasn't really particularly honoring to God um, but God did something uh, at the end of my fourth year at university I was a medical student and we had to go and do some job experiences thing and I decided to go to work in a missionary hospital in Tanzania. Um, you know where Tanzania is. And so I went to work at a missionary hospital, a place called Mvumi Hospital, for three months. And, man, that was a wild time. That was a really wild time. I had developed the most raging diarrhea <laughs> on, <laughs> on the train. Heading to heading to Dodoma, and I, I can't tell you. I still have the most vivid memory of what that toilet car was like. But anyway, I'm not. <laughs> oh, there was just a hole in the floor, and nobody had hit it. But anyway, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway. So I, anyway, I don't. I don't actually know why I'm saying that. But anyway. Yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite bits of the going to Tanzania story. And then the, the moment I got off the train, there was a guy waiting there, and he looked like Stanley Liv Dr. Livingstone. He had a pith hat on. 
No, 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 no. He didn't have a pith hat on, but he had khaki. It, it felt like he ought to have had a pith hat on. He, he had khaki shirt, khaki shorts, you know, like desert shorts and, and desert boots and a big bushy ginger beard. Yeah, <laughs> it's Chris. And, and he said to me, are you Irving Allen? And I said, yeah. And he went, oh, thank God you've arrived. And they were in this middle of this meningitis epidemic. And so from the day, I, from the moment I put my foot on the platform, virtually to the day I left, it was like nonstop, unbelievable work. Uh, but it was a fantastic experience. But at the end of it, I went hitchhiking for a couple of uh, weeks, two or three weeks, around the north of Tanzania. It's a few hundred miles up to, up to the north and then to the east to Kilimanjaro. And there was a hospital there, a Kilimanjaro Christian Medical Center and so on. And um, I'd been given a few names, a couple of names of people to drop in on. The first one was... Uh, a nurse at a Lutheran hospital near the Manyara, uh, Lake Manyara game reserve. And this is where uh, lions sleep in the trees and things like that. So I kind of so wanted to go there. But um, the problem is I got this amazing lift. Um, but I'll get to that to a mo in a moment. Uh, first of all, I got taken by some people a couple of hundred miles up north into a desert village called Kondoa. And they dropped me off. And uh, I didn't really have a name uh, here, but I thought that I could m manage to... No, 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 no. They had given me a name, but I had no idea how to find this person. Uh, so I got dropped off uh, in this village by these people. And it was about three or four miles off the desert road. Um, so they went off back up to the desert road and carried on up north and left me in this village. But the problem is, it was half past six. And in, on the equator, because it's right on the equator, it's suddenly really bright. And then 10 minutes, it's like completely night. It really, really quickly. It goes very, very dark very quickly. And they had loads of hyenas and snakes and stuff which came prowling around. And so the light just suddenly starts to diminish and I thought, I don't know where I'm going. I'm on the outskirts of this village. There's nobody around because you just don't, you just don't hang around in these places in the night. And I'm sitting there thinking, I need a miracle. I've, I've suddenly realized this is really stupid. There's hyenas out here and I'm stuck out in the wild and I have not a clue where to go. And I remember sitting down under a tree thinking, I don't know where to go, so I'll just sit here and hope God does something. And, and I remember praying, Jesus, I need an angel to turn up right now. And the very moment I prayed that, I felt this tap on my shoulder. And I turned around, expecting an angel, and it was this little boy. And he looked at me and uh, shook my shoulder and then he proceeded to climb up the tree. And I thought, what's he doing? 
I just happened to be sitting under this tree. I don't know what the fruit was, but he started, he picked off this massive big fruit and he started chomping it. And he said something along the lines of unanja, which means in Swahili, have you got, are you hungry? So I went, yeah. <laughs> so he threw me with this fruit, this fruit down and threw me a couple of these pieces of fruit. So I'm having this massive feast on this amazing fruit. It was amazing, it tasted amazing. Because I was really thirsty and hungry at the same time. And so then he came down and without saying another word, he just grabbed hold of my hand and he walked me from the edge of the village all the way through the village to the other side of the village and took me across the village to his father who was the head vicar and he certainly wasn't the name I'd been given. Uh, I somehow managed to communicate with him the name of this person so he took me to this person's house but they'd gone apparently. and the neighbors said that he'd gone that morning to Mvumi Hospital, so we'd crossed on the desert road, and I wouldn't have got there anyway. So this guy turning up was like an angel, sort of just an instant answer to prayer. But I, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just pointing out the supernaturalness of God's provision um, and how he provided it. The instant I was actually asking God to send me an angel, and suddenly, boom, this lad taps on my shoulder. And anyway, uh, there, was, there was other aspects to that story. I mean, the following morning, for example, uh, he had to go to uh, a woman who had just been widowed and she was mourning for her husband and he was going to take the funeral. So he had to go to talk to her. So he took me on the back of his little Honda 50 type thing. They called them picky picky. And <laughs> so I'm there sitting with my legs sticking out as he's driving around the village on this little scooter. And he takes me to this line of women all dressed in black and they're all sort of, ah, they kind of a wail. They were just wailing. So I had to join with them, sort of kind of, ah, <laughs> wailing. But he said I had to do it. It was kind of the done thing. So I joined this wailing line and did some wailing for about 20, 20 minutes, which was hilarious. And, uh, and then, uh, then he took me back. And anyway, then uh, I got a little, I got a lift from a guy in a pickup truck who took me back to the desert road so I could get another lift. But by that time, it was nearly the middle of the day and the sun was up. It was absolutely scorching hot. And I think all I could see within a few hundred yards was a couple of literally mud huts with rush. And, and that was it. That's all I could see in, around me. And I was, I thought, this is too hot. It was in the middle of the day on the equator it was in the middle of August, and I thought, I'm, I'm going to roast. Well, after about 20 minutes, I really thought, that's it. I'm definitely going to die here because there was nothing, no movement on the roads, no cars. So I thought, right, okay, you provided me an angel once, God. I need another angel. So I remember praying and started writing in the dirt. I, I was I just writing some prayers in the dust at the side of the road. I was writing, I can't remember exactly what I was writing, but uh, I was writing the name of Jesus or something. And I looked up and I saw this little cloud of dust on the horizon in the direction of where the road was coming from, where I'd come from, further south. And I thought, that's interesting. And the dust got more and more. And I thought, that is definitely a car. And in about five, 10 minutes, could actually see the shape of a black car getting closer. So 
it, I didn't stick my thumb out or anything. I just stood in the middle of the road with my legs astride and sort of, <laughs> this car wasn't getting past me. So um, suddenly, well, eventually, this black car turned up and it was very clear. It was a very, very posh limousine. You know, massive, big, long sedan limousine, black limousine. And this guy stopped, got out and, and walked up to me and said, what are you doing here? And this was apparently a German embassy official from, uh, I can't remember, Uganda or somewhere, and, uh, or Rwanda, I can't remember where he's from anyway. And they were just going off on their annual vacation. And uh, just, so it just happened to turn up. So I thought, oh, this is really rather good. So he got in, there it was, air-conditioned car. It was really cool inside. So I got in and we drove about an hour till we just started to get out of the desert area into an oasis covered in palm trees and things. Well, not palm trees, leaves anyway, trees. And he went, oh, I'm forgetting. He says, you, you must be hungry and thirsty because it is now about one o'clock, middle of the day. I said, oh, actually I am. So he said, come with me. And he walked around to the back of the car pressed a button and the boot went up, refrigerated boot. He said, are you okay with champagne? <laughs> so uh, I, I, this, is no, this is not a word of a lie. He says, are you okay with champagne? I said, yeah, I could handle champagne. And he said, uh, we don't have much to eat, but we've got some crackers and caviar. <laughs> This was proper beluga caviar. Wow. It was the real stuff. I've got no idea. Hundreds of pounds worth of stuff in a little tin. <laughs> so at the, end, at the end of this desert, I'm here with a black embassy, uh, air-conditioned saloon with refrigerated boot with caviar and champagne in the middle of the desert. And I thought, oh yes, this is, a, this is God answering in style. So uh, anyway, it was a this, this was a great lift. It, the, there was him, his wife, and his daughter, I think. And uh, so I sat in the back, and then we're talking, and we're talking about what I was doing in Tanzania. We just passed the time. And then it was a couple of hundred miles further up. The road started to turn off to, uh, to go to Kilimanjaro. And I wanted to go there, and he was going all the way. This was about 400 mile journey and I thought, ah, oh, I can't turn this lift down. So, but there was a junction where the road started to bend around and that went off to Lake Manyara where the game park was and I wanted to go there too. But then I'd have to leave this amazing lift. If, so I was, I was like, oh God, show me what to do, show me what to do. Well, we got to within half, he, he kept saying, have you decided what you want to do? He says, because I'm going I'm to have to drop you off very soon, it's, a, it's in about a couple of miles. I said, I still can't decide, I still can't decide. I still, oh, and, I'm, and they're praying, oh God, show me what to do, show me what to do. And within, I think 200 meters of the road that went off to Lake Manyara, it was a boom. And the car had a blowout. The car tire exploded. And so we had to stop. And we were right at the junction. And uh, so he, went to a garage that was actually there 
And they said, no, we can't get it. We're going to have to get this from Dar es Salaam. It's a special tire, you know, a special car, big foreign limousine. So he says, it will take us uh, one and a half days to get the tire. You're going to have to stay here in one of the local hotels overnight. So I said, okay, well, that's my answer for that. So I thought, I'll take that as an answer to prayer. So, uh, well, poor him, poor, poor embassy official, absolutely. I mean, I would have thought he could have called a helicopter or something, but anyway, he was going to have to stay there. So I thought, well, that's my decision made. So we were right at the junction, uh, at the uh, it was a T-junction, and I remember looking up the road, there was this a cattle truck. And I asked somebody, and they said, oh, that, that truck there is going to past Lake Manyara. So I thought, oh, wow, that's amazing. So I got on this cattle truck, and everybody was sitting on sacks with wool and things like that. But so I had kind of had to stand. And after about 10, 15 minutes, the truck, and these, these people were all just hitching a lift. They were, just, they were just jumping on. The guy who was driving the truck didn't care. He would take anybody. So we just got on. And well, I just got on, I was by myself. And I had this massive big pack, it was about 40 pound pack I was carrying. Um, and uh, so they started off and instantly, I kind of regretted being there because the rain, it was, it was slightly up an incline going uphill. And the rain had ridged the, the, the mud path. So it was just like, waves on sand, you know, you see the ripples on the sand and, and there was no suspension on this thing at all. It was just a solid axle, straightforward axle on the back. And I remember feeling incredible. After about five minutes, I was in such intense pain in my back. I thought, it's collapsing my vertebrae. It's doing some really down. And I was having really pain all the way around my ribs. And, 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 I, and, I, and I started to not be able to breathe. So at some point, I, I remember just crying out. I said, oh, God, stop the truck. Boom, the truck just suddenly stopped. I'm on the back, right at the back. These guys go out and hear me. They're sitting driving it. And suddenly the engine cuts out. Instantly, the very second I, said, I shouted, God, stop the truck. Truck stopped. Just like that. I mean, this, this, honestly, this is just like in a book. And uh, so everybody, everybody had a wee. <laughs> and they just did. I don't know why it seemed, that, that seemed to be the moment that everybody decided to go spring a leak. But anyway, the guys have got the bonnet of the hood up, uh, the, the hood of the car up, and they, the lorry up, and they're, they're scratching their heads, they're trying to turn it over, they have absolutely no idea why it's not working. So, after about three or four minutes, after I had a wee as well, uh, I decided, this sounds, this feels like God, this. It feels like God stopped the truck for me. I said, okay, well, the next thing is, okay, God, can I have a, can I have a different lift? I said, right, I'm getting, I'm getting bold here. So I said, can I have a different lift? And within 20 seconds of saying that, this green Peugeot saloon comes around the corner. It, now, this time it's full of people. But they still stopped and they said, what are you doing here? <laughs> what are you, <laughs> you know, this is very, this is not where they expected to see a European guy. And uh, so I explained and they said, well, where, we can take you uh, uh, past Manyara Game Park. But he says, we're actually going to this hospital. And they mentioned this Lutheran 
hospital run by the Lutheran nuns. They were actually going to the hospital where I'd been given a name of somebody to stay at. So I, I kind of, anyway. Uh, and it, uh, the, ho- the, the and, uh, I, I won't say any more about that because, but th- there was miracle after miracle after miracle. And that kind of, sh- the, point is, the point I'm making is it shocked me. It really shocked me because I thought this is the sort of thing I could have read about in a book, but it's happening to me. And, and I'd done nothing to make it happen except I'd just cried out once or twice, God, I need help. And suddenly there's all this incredible stuff happening. And uh, that did something because I had lived in the previous three years in a way which you would look at me and you think, well, He's not done anything to make God think, you know, he's a great <coughs> Christian or anything like that. Uh, I, I hadn't lived in a particularly honoring way. But yet I just knew that God was there and I, I was hanging in there by the skin of my teeth. And that's a strange English expression for those of you who don't know that. By the skin of your teeth means you're only just hanging in on there. And yet God was turning up doing these amazing things for me. And I suppose I'm just quoting that to illustrate something that God just put in my heart. He actually likes me and he wants me to be okay. He loves me. He's my dad. It was that I love you. I'm your dad. I'm looking after you message. Um, So as I say, I'm just quoting that to illustrate one of the ways in which God got this message into my heart that you actually are my son. You are a supernatural being. You're not just flesh and blood. There was definitely something. Anybody who listens to these stories would have to conclude something extraordinary was happening there. Um, And it was. And um, so... I kind of began to turn around after that point because that shocked me so much. I thought, whoa, God is actually here. He's, God is on my side. You know, I'd known it in my head theologically, theoretically, but I, I kind of never had really felt it. But this was, I think, the first moment I really remember really deeply feeling it. But um, anyway... Anyway, I became a doctor, qualified. I joined the dancer and drama group attached to the church, joined the church. And I remember the next significant memory I remember having was a lady who just lived around the corner from the church. And she'd gone and had a scan, which showed she'd had an intrauterine premature death. Her baby... Basically, she was, uh, I think she was about 12 weeks or 10, 12 weeks pregnant. She'd started bleeding and the size of her baby in her uterus had, re- had re- reverted to something like six weeks. And they all made the conclusion, well, your baby has died in utero and it's, it's not developing. So it's, she's kind of had a missed abortion. And so we're going to have to scrape your womb out. And they made an appointment, I think, the next day to have her womb scraped out. And she gave a message to one of the people in our church. And we just happened to be having a prayer meeting that night. 
And the message was, could you, play, could you please pray for my baby? Because I, don't want, I want my baby to live. I, I've got no idea why this woman, I don't think this woman was a Christian, but she knew some people from the church and she knew we prayed. So she just asked us to pray. And I remember that prayer meeting very, very clearly because something happened and we, that was the first time, I mean, I went, I was, I remember just going ballistic. I'm not saying this is how you've got to pray, but I remember going ballistic and absolutely refusing to accept the death of this baby. There was something happening inside my heart and I just knew I could not accept the death of this baby. And we were absolutely commanding this baby to come to life and I remember not going home, not being able to speak. I, shout, I was shouting so loud. And like I say, I'm, I'm not recommending this necessarily as a prayer method, shouting loud and screaming, but we did. And I absolutely remember insisting that this baby come to life. And I'd never done any of that before. I'd never prayed really like that before um, for some healing. Um, anyway, she went into hospital and she insisted on another scan. The hospital staff really didn't like this because she'd only just had a scan and the size of the baby was about six weeks and no signs of life. Well, they did another scan. This was, I remember only a couple of days afterwards, the size of this baby was now about 12 weeks. And what, what, what's the earliest sign you can see a fetal heartbeat? It's like four weeks. Yeah, anyway. They, they clearly felt that they, they saw this, they saw a fetal heartbeat and this baby was alive. And uh, that guy finished up going to university, the, this baby, it was a long time ago. And anyway, finished up growing because, and it's, anyway. But if it wasn't for us praying, she would have been in hospital, she would have had a uterus scraped out. He wouldn't have been alive. Anyway. So I guess we can say we've got documented evidence of somebody being raised from the dead, <laughs> even if it was only a... You could actually... I mean, there, there, are different, yeah, there are different ways of looking at that. You could say, well, scanning technology may be allowed for an error in that first scan. And so you could actually say that. But all I know is that she was told her baby was dead. And after we, after we prayed, that baby was back to normal size and she was told the baby was alive. So we're ticking that off as a being raised from the dead experience. And again, that, that, that was another. And you remember, uh, you remember I've told you about my back pain? You remember that? When Colin Urquhart was on the stage at the Free Trade Hall and he... And he said, you know, nine people have been healed of their backs. And I had this spina bifida and I'd had pain, chronic pain in my back from the age of 12 to 23, 24, pain every single day. But I did not want to be healed. And I refused to stand up because he said, he said stand up. And I refused to stand up and I didn't want it. And I, I was just too embarrassed. It was one of these, I'm too embarrassed to go and take hold of what's mine sort of moments. I uh, co just couldn't do it. And yet, <laughs> I got home and from that moment onwards, I had no back pain for 40 years.
it's just unbelievable. God just did something when I didn't ask for it, I didn't want it, in fact, I refused it. <laughs> and yet he still did it. And the, and, the, and the point I'm making there is you are supernatural whether you want it or not. Even if you don't want to be supernatural, you are. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> and, I, and, and, and he was saying, I am. <laughs> I was. He loved me that much. And, and kind of, I saw, I saw, again, I saw odd more little healings along the way. Um, but the best ones are the ones where I didn't try. Did I tell you about Michael? The Irish guy who, who, who came into my office and shook my hand and he wouldn't let go of my hand. I didn't tell you about that. Ah, oh, I'll demonstrate it. I'm, I'm sitting at my desk and this, this man comes in and uh, he's got a very Irish accent so I'll, I'll try not to do it too much because some Irish people might get offended. So, yeah, to be sure. And he knocks on the door and I opened the door, and before I could say anything, he came over to me like this, oh, and he's grabbing hold of my hand like this. Oh, hello, doctor. Oh, oh. And he's making these animal noises. Oh, oh. And he won't let go of my hand. He's holding my hand with two hands, shaking really violently. And I thought, he's going to put my shoulder out to join him. Shake, 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 shake. And I say, hi, Michael. Oh, oh, oh. So it went on about, about another two or three minutes. Oh, oh, and he kept and he's saying words like, oh yes, yes. And I say, oh, okay, Michael, would you like to tell me what's happening, Michael? So he just kept shaking my hands. Oh, oh, just keep shaking that hand, doctor. Oh. So after about another five minutes, I said, Michael, we've got to stop. <laughs> I've got patience. I've got more patience. Anyway, oh, just another minute, doctor. Just another minute, doctor. Anyway, so anyway, I mean, and I made him sit down, and I said, "Would you like to explain, Michael?" And he said, "Oh, doctor, you've got healing in their hands. <laughs> you've got healing in those hands." And I said, "Would you like to explain?" <laughs> and he and he says, "Oh, he says, don't you remember when I came in about six? Eight, some, eight, six, 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 eight weeks ago or something like that. And I went, yeah, vaguely. And I don't, <laughs> I was probably lying because I don't really have a good memory of, I just, just don't. Uh, and I never did. I always had to refer to the records of what, I, of what I'd done before. And um, so he says, don't you remember? He says, you had me up on the couch. He says, I've had pain in that knee every day for years and really he's had serious arthritis in his knee and he says and you got me up on the couch and you examined my knee he says from the moment i got down off that couch i have not had one second's pain in this knee he says it's a miracle he says you got healing in your hand and he grabbed hold of my hand again and says he says i've got arthritis in this wrist just keep shaking the hand <laughs> and he wouldn't let go <laughs> it was kind of amazing I can't, I can't remember what happened to his hand. It would be nice to complete this story by saying his hand got healed, but I can't remember what happened to his hand, so I can't actually say that. But what, I, but what was lovely, I said, well, look, Michael, you're going to have to blame this on Jesus because I had absolutely no idea. <laughs> All I did was examine his knee. But he had put it down to me laying hands on his knees. And that was, 
and, and I'm making a point of that because I wasn't the hero there. You know, I wasn't the hero. I wasn't, do, I wasn't expecting anything. I, I just know I was a Christian and Jesus lives inside of me and I am supernatural. And that supernatural thing just happened just because that's who I am. And anyway, I think this is encouraging because, guys, this is who you are. And, um, and I think God just threw these episodes into my life just to encourage me to seek him more and more for these things. He just kept reminding me, this is who you are. Okay, and then you go for another six months. You don't ask for much, but okay, I'll throw another one in. This is who you are, you know. Well, anyway, kind of been great. So, but the, uh, so the, these sort of things have been happening all through my life since I became a Christian, and slowly, I've be- I began to realize, hey guys, this is in fact who I am, and it's nothing to do and. The truth was, which was hard for me to grasp, the most dramatic times, apart from perhaps the baby coming back to life, the most, some of the most dramatic things that's happened to me. You remember my ankle? I absolutely, I was, I was behaving really badly. I was lying. I was pretending. I was pretending to fall over and pretending I'd been slain in the spirit because this guy just wouldn't let me off the hook and he just kept praying for me. Oh, no. And I, I oh, my life as a Christian is finished here because I'm lying on screen pretending that I'm getting a bit better when I wasn't. But then at some point, just something happened. And I, I just know it was this guy's faith. But God just touched me and I had this most dramatic my walking distance went from 400 meters to eight miles overnight. I threw my crutches away, which I'd had for two or three years, and I've never needed them since. And it was just an out-and-out miracle, which I did not want to happen. <laughs> I did want it to happen, but after two or three years of praying, I just kind of was taking a break and I just didn't want to be shown up. I didn't want to be embarrassed. And it was made so much the worse because I had to lie on screen. But anyway, <laughs> uh, if, you, if anybody listening to this story, this tape doesn't actually know what I'm talking about. Uh, I think I mentioned it on a previous one, didn't I? So, so I began to start operating then out of slowly, I slowly began don't ask me why, guys. It took me 20, 30, 40 years for this to sink in, that this is actually who I am. But I knew that when I came to our destiny, that it, I, I suddenly, I was, I was hunting for God's presence and his action, his, you know, seeing. I wanted to see it. He said to me, the fruit's on the street. So I thought, okay, I'm going to have to get out on the street, but I don't really want to go out on the street. Nah, cringe, 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 cringe. If I go to our destiny, they'll force me to do it. <laughs> so that's kind of why I joined our destiny. And we went, finished up going to Ireland as our outreach. And you've, have you, you've, heard, you've heard some of the stories there, haven't you? Just, just the first night, a guy with a broken bone in his, in his collarbone. And we just, we just prayed for five seconds be healed in Jesus' name. That was kind of about it. And suddenly this bone is going down and this guy who'd had a fro- broken collarbone, only three days old, he's suddenly hitting his collarbone, going pale. And he's shouting, no, no, I can't believe it, can't believe it. 
and he and he's waving his arms around like it's, it's, he couldn't believe it. He he went white as a sheet. It scared him. The fact that God healed him just scared him. And anyway, and the, and. And the good news out of that one is, of course, he went rushing off and bought us all a crate of uh, lager. <laughs> he brought us all a crate of beer to say thank you for getting him healed. And um, loads and loads more stories. And then, in addition to all of that, you know, the Sozo stuff, where God's been ident- helping me to understand where these roots of resistance and reluctance you know, what, not wanting to be ashamed, not wanting to stand up and be seen, not wanting to go and be made a fool of out in public. Um, and all these other things which have happened in my life to crush me in my past and, and, and make me not believe that I actually was worthwhile, that I actually was lovable. So, so God's done that as well, you know, in the background, sort of helping slowly peel off those layers of reluctance where I got to the point where I, I certainly over the last 10 years have been able to actually welcome now my identity and say yes I actually do believe that God loves me God does uh, that I am a supernatural being whether I want to or not but now I do want it <laughs> and I am hunting for it and God is doing all these amazing things so honor to him huh if it can happen to an old wizened recalcitrant not wanting anything lying on lying on a screen a person like me it can certainly happen to you it will happen to you god will do this that's what his plan for us all are to see because when you've done the lord's prayer haven't you when the disciple said, okay, Jesus teaches how to pray. You've, you've been taught on that? No, not yet. Oh, I'm telling you, this is amazing. I'll just, I'll just teach you this one, right? Jesus said, when the disciple said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And in churches all around the world, you'll hear this prayer, don't you? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. And, you know, amen. And it all sounds so wonderful. But if you actually look at what Jesus was actually saying, and the, the Greek comes in here as well, Jesus says, okay, pray like this, our Father. Well, isn't that amazing? Point number one I'm talking to my dad identity who are you realize who you are you I'm gonna need a tissue yeah yeah it's amazing isn't it the very first thing that Jesus says when people says teachers how to pray and he says number one know who you are you're sons of God you're talking to your father, right? Who is in heaven. He's powerful. He's everywhere, right? He's, he's everywhere, right? Hallowed be your name. I honor you, right? Point number one, know who you are. Point number two, uh, 
recognize that your father is in heaven above all things, has all power, he's all-knowing, he's everywhere. It's just amazing. Recognize these things. That's what Jesus is saying. He's not, he's not just saying pray these things. He's talking about you need to recognize these things. This is, you are children of God and this is who your father is. Hallowed be your name. I worship you. Right? Just give your lives to him. It, it, it doesn't feel like praying, does it? He's, he's just saying, he's talking about recognize these things. Give yourself to this person who is your father and who is incredible. And then he says, right, this is the prayer. Your kingdom come. He's not... Now, the Greek, if, you, if you study the Greek and look at the Greek, you'll realize that what Jesus is saying is, I want you to command the kingdom of heaven to come. Right? Because this is called the Greek aorist tense. It's a commanding prayer. So if, I, if, I'm, if I'm your master or your, you're my servant, I say, come here. Right? That's the commanding... I don't know. An imperative. Yeah. You'd, do you have that in German? Yeah. An imperative case? It's pretty well like that. It's a, so, the, so Jesus is saying, your kingdom come. You command it to be. <laughs> your will, Father God, be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that amazing? So... You know, and, and yet as Christians, we've got hold of this wishy-washy, Oh God, if it be your will, we are just your humble servants. And, you know, if it be your will, if you would like, please. And Jesus is saying, recognize who you are. You're sons of your Father in heaven who has all power. And in this place of worshipping and honouring him, you command his kingdom to come and his will to be done. It's like, whoa, this isn't, this isn't wishy-washy praying. But to get to that place of being able to command in that way, you have to know who you are. You have to know who you are. Otherwise, you're not going to do it. You're going to stay in this, oh God, if it be your will place until you recognize that you are actually our sons. You have the ring of authority on your finger. Remember the prodigal son? The family stamp, the family ring? You can say what happens. That's who you are. Thank you for listening to the Destiny Podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.